And the thing is, is that her story is not the only story of God's grace. You and I are all here in this room today because of his grace, because of his work that he has done in our lives. Now, let me ask you, what was your water baptism moment like? What was your moment like when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ? For me, I remember my water baptism moment that happened in that tub right over there. And I remember as I was being brought back to go into the water, uh, the tub was a little slippery. And so my feet shot right out from underneath me, and I almost drowned the pastor. And so his head was just sticking out like this. And so thankfully, he didn't get dunked too, although nothing would have, you know, Double, double portion is fine, but uh, that was my moment of water baptism. But when I came out of the water, I remember thinking, this is such a cool, significant moment. I can't imagine my life being any different than it is right now. I can't imagine turning away from him. And I think there are times where I surprise myself because there are moments where I look back and go, whoa. How did I get here? Because it certainly wasn't because I was following Christ. If I'm following Christ, I would be over here somewhere. But somehow I have drifted like a boat in the water where slowly I started to drift and drift and drift to the point where I don't even recognize the shoreline anymore. Have any of you, can any of you relate to that? where you recognize that you needed God's correction even after you came to Jesus Christ? Does anyone say amen to that, that that's them? We need God's grace every single day of our life, and not only just when we put our faith in him, but every day since. We need God's grace in our life. And I think that the reason why we find ourselves strained is because of the subtlety of idolatry. The subtlety of idolatry. Very rarely is the enemy of our souls, the devil, going to come up to us and say, deny Christ right now. Come on, deny him. He's going to lie to you. He's going to uh, try to get you to compromise one step at a time to the point where you realize that you have drifted much farther than you ever intended. That is the subtlety of idolatry. And I think that I, uh, am, I, I could say with confidence that all of us, whether we are a follower of Jesus Christ, whether we're believers in him or not, we have to be on the lookout for this. Because, Jesus, uh, because God said in his word that if you think you are standing firm, be careful because you might fall. And so we have to be taking into account everything of what we're doing and why we're doing it. How do we arrive at the decisions that we arrive at? How do we determine our value system in this world? Is it because of Jesus Christ or is it because of something else? And if it's something else, perhaps today is the day of repentance for you today. We see this as a pattern over and over and over again. We see the nation of Israel who was brought miraculously out of Egypt after a few short days in the desert decided they wanted to go back. 
we find that David, after he slept with Bathsheba and killed her husband, uh, God, God, God miraculously protected David over and over and over again, only for David to make those choices. Uh, we see with Peter that he denied Jesus, and then Jesus went and said, no, it's okay, it's okay, I love you, I have a plan for you, go ahead and, and accomplish that plan. And what do we find later on in Peter's life? He inappropriately favors the Jewish Christians over the Greek Christians. This is a pattern that we see over and over and over again, and it's a reminder that we are just as much in need of God's grace today as it was when we first believed. It is rare for someone to be fully invested in Christ and within a snap of a finger say, I am choosing, to, I'm choosing not to follow you anymore. It is the subtlety of idolatry that slowly works away at us, eats away at us, until we find ourselves in a completely different place than we intended to go. Let's take a look at 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 24 and through 33. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kut, well, let's, let's try that again, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, Zephyravim, Sure. And placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So the king of Assyria was told, the nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them because they do not know the law of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there and let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. But every nation still made gods of its own and made them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities in which they lived. The men of Babylon made Sakath Benoth. The men of Kuth made Nergal. The men of Hamath made Ashimiah. Sure. And Avites made Nibaz and, Tar and Tarkic, and the Sephirvites burned their children in the fire to Adremelech and Analemelech, and gods of, of Sephirvim. This, you know, I have a hard enough time speaking in my known language, and so the fact that these names are in the Bible are unfair. That is my grievance. Let's move on. They all feared the Lord and appointed from among themselves all sorts of people as priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. So they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they have been carried away. The subtlety of idolatry often leads to the mixing of faith and culture. The mixing of faith and culture. 
So I'm going to have a map up there for you. Uh, we had somebody in the earlier say, service say, it's not a fun sermon unless you have a map. And I not only do I have a map, but I have a laser pointer as well. So we're going to party today. Um, so <laughs> after the death of King Solomon, we have the nation of Israel, God's people, not get along. They don't get along with each other after King Solomon died. And so they decided, we're going to divide. We're going to separate ourselves into two kingdoms. So they separated into the northern kingdom called Israel, which is in blue. And then they have the southern kingdom, which is called Judah, in gold here. And so they have separated. Uh, now, now here's, here's something that I think is a message in of itself. God's people who were called to be one nation to serve him and him alone, divided amongst each other because they couldn't get along. If that is not a pattern and a warning for us today, for the people of God to finally unite around our common Savior, our common Lord, our common Scripture, and around our common mission, which is to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But somehow, we find ourselves arguing over the stupidest things that have nothing to do with Jesus, have nothing to do with his word or the mission. We find ourselves arguing over the dumbest things, and we end up wasting time and energy from what God is calling us to do. We need to break that cycle, amen? Let's unite on what has brought us together, which is Jesus Christ. And so these kingdoms, they divided, and then the northern kingdom was called Israel, and the first king of that northern kingdom was a man by the name of Jeroboam. And one of the first things that he recognized as king is, is that he's king over here in this northern land, over in Samaria, but Jerusalem is in the southern kingdom. And that's where the temple is. And he is in charge of God's people. So God's people are going to worship God, right? They're going to go to the temple. And he's afraid that because the southern kingdom has the temple, that everyone is just going to go there one day and not come back. And he's not going to have a people to rule over. It was a selfish powerful. Uh, 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 it was a selfish issue of where he was concerned about his power. And so he decided he needed to come up with an alternative. He needed to give them a reason not to go to Jerusalem. So what he ended up doing was is he ended up creating two golden calves. And he placed them in important strategic cities, one in Dan, which is in the northern part of the kingdom, and the other in Bethel, which is in the southern part of the kingdom. And he placed these two golden calves there and said, look, everyone, don't go to the temple anymore and worship God Almighty there. You can worship God. You can worship Yahweh, and you can go to these idols and offer sacrifices there because, after all, these were the things that actually brought the people through the desert. Isn't that amazing? 
This guy took one of the most scandalous periods in the nation of Israel of where Aaron and the Israelites fashioned a golden calf and he literally doubled down. And he said, I am going to bring these, uh, these things to you so that you don't have to worship in Jerusalem. He wanted to create a completely different culture. Now notice, he also brought up the name of Yahweh there. He also lifted up the name of God. And so he tried to mix worship with a, with a different culture to serve his own purposes. And we find that this one compromise continued to lead to more and more compromises as we continue to read Scripture. As we take, as we take a look at what happened in, in, in the life of the Samaritans, we see the Samaritans uh, compromising and, and changing religious festivals to fit their cultural and geographic assets. We see them reject the Psalms and the prophets in favor of just the first five books of the Bible. We see them fighting against uh, God's people in rebuilding the temple in the book of Ezra. And in the, in the book of Luke, we see them rejecting Jesus, the Messiah, their very own Messiah. Why? Because Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And so that seed that was planted against Jerusalem by Jeroboam followed all of those people throughout all of those generations until Jesus came as the Messiah and they rejected their own Messiah because of a cultural difference and not because of what the Word of God says. Culture is a, such a powerful motivator in what, how we end up shaping our ideology and how we practice our faith. And I think that it affects us in a greater way than we ever thought could have been possible. Um, we find uh, with Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, Jesus ends up calling her out and says, uh, you don't really know what you're worshiping. Because even though you started out like we did and worshiping God Almighty, you have so compromised your faith throughout the years that I don't even recognize your religion anymore. So for us, what does it look like for us in our faith today and the culture around us? How does culture influence us? How does culture inform on what we should be passionate about, what we should, be, what we should care about? One of the shocking verses of the passage that we read was in verse 31 that said that the Zephyrites sacrificed their children to their gods. That seems so far-fetched because I've never driven by a pagan temple and where they have brought children to be sacrificed. I've never seen that, have you? Have you seen any of that? But yet we still have something that happens the exact same thing every single day in this country where millions of babies are murdered every single year in the womb in, on the altar of the God of convenience. We don't call it sacrifice and we don't call it idolatry, but it is the exact same thing. And we, as the church, have not spoken up and in favor of life that God himself has instituted. 
We have a responsibility as Christians to recognize that God himself said, I have knitted you in my mother's womb. I've knitted you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so we have ourselves and humanity that God himself has made, and we have the audacity to assume that we can disassemble that body that has been wonderfully made by a couple of snips in a vacuum. How dare we have that level of arrogance? We should repent right now for that national sin that has gone on for far too long. You know what else is a national sin? Because the, the, we, have, we have that being committed in the name of convenience, but we also, for whatever reason, have the church that sometimes hasn't always done its job in looking after orphans and widows. Because if we did our job in looking after orphans and widows, we wouldn't have had this huge issue of abortion because there would be so many people who would say, this is silly for me to put this child to death because the church is doing its job. The church is doing what it's been called to do, to shed light in the midst of the darkness. And since they're doing such a good job, I know that I can just trust in them to take care of it. That is why we support New Hope. It's a ministry that we have that is local in this area. And they don't only value the life of the child, but they value the life of the mother as well. It lifts up life all around. It offers equipping and supporting so that those who are in that situation don't have to go through that situation by themselves. It is a great ministry, and all along the way, they are sharing the love of Jesus. So today, let's repent. Let's repent of the fact that it's being, that the fact that it's being done, and let's uh, repent from the fact that sometimes we as Christians have not done our job on the other end. Let's repent and admit that we have allowed the idolatry of the idol of convenience to determine whether or not we are going to allow this to happen or not. Let me ask you, when it comes to these hotbed political footballs that are being tossed back and forth, how, how, can, how do people, can people trace your rhetoric to CNN or Fox News? Can they trace your rhetoric to President Trump or President Biden? Or can they trace the words that are coming out of your mouth and your actions by the word of God? That is what we need to be governed by more than anything else. The Bible says that kingdoms will rise and kingdoms will fall. But Jesus Christ will remain forever and ever and ever. So we lift him up. We lift him up above it all because he will last for eternity. And the United States government and any other government that comes, it will eventually topple and fall. Let's lift up Jesus today. Let's make that, let's make that agreement together 
that he is the only one that we should be lifting up in such a prominent way. We have a culture that has been so desensitized by sexual immorality that it is no longer a big deal for a couple to live as husband and wife when they haven't made that commitment to be husband and wife. We have, we have uh, scores and scores of ways. It seems like we're trying to invent new ways to uh, commit that sin of sexual immorality. And it is getting more, increasingly more difficult to raise up a child with the biblical standards of sexuality because we find ourselves as the church slowly starting to compromise one bit of a time. Can I please encourage you today that all sexual immorality deserves to be repented of right now in this place? No matter what culture teaches you, sexual immorality should be something that we should flee, run away from. Uh, and, and that is in all areas. You know, we have, we have commercials where we have two men kissing, and for whatever reason, that causes an uproar within the church. But the same people in the same church find themselves masturbating to internet pornography. And it's the same thing, is it not? It is incorrect. It deserves to be repented of. But if we find ourselves to be revolted by one, but not as much by the other, then guess what? There is something wrong there where you are lifting up some level of idolatry in your life where you're allowing some sort of cultural preference to determine your value systems instead of the word of God. Sexual immorality in all cases needs to be repented of. We do no good and we show no love to anybody who is stuck in the midst of sexual immorality. The, the LGBTQ community, we do not show them love by playing along with them that they can be a Christian and practice their sin. We do not show them love that way. Instead, we say that you know what? Even while you were committing your sin of choice, God still died for you. You want to know how I know that? Because he died for me too. I am just as much in need of God's grace as you are. And so because I know that Christ died for me, I can say to you, I do not condemn you. I do not, uh, I do not point my finger at you. I lovingly say, come forward and receive the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Submit to him as Lord as well as Savior, and you can experience the deliverance and freedom that only Christ can give. Today, God is calling us to repentance calling us to repent for allowing ourselves to mix faith and culture. The second thing, the second point that I want to talk about is, is that the subtlety of idolatry causes the mixing of faith and the other rulers of our heart. Now, we, let's take a look at the map again. We're going to go back to the party. Um, before we go back, uh, so before we go to the passage, let's take a look. It talks about the Assyrian Empire. So what happened here before this passage is that the Assyrian Empire, which is right up here, 
They came in through the north and they started to take over city after city after city until they finally hit the capital, which is Samaria. And once they reached the capital, they took all of this land that they conquered and they started taking the people that lived there and shipped them out to various other places of their empire. So they basically deported a bunch of people who lived there. And then they went and brought in uh, uh, influential people, people who are uh, educators and highly uh, powerful, influential people that people like to lead, uh, gather around. And they went and said, oh, you know what? You have lived in this area of our empire, but we're going to give you some money and we're going to ship you to this place here so that you can occupy this land. So here's why they did that. They did that so that they would be able to solidify the merging of their cultures, so that it would be easier for people to assimilate. They also did that because um, they would have allies in all of the empire of wherever they went. And so here in this passage, we have a bunch of people who lived in the northern part of the kingdom who had never heard of Jesus or never heard of uh, the God of the Bible before. They were polytheists, so they were not a stranger to gods in general, but the God of the Bible, they didn't really know. And so it, it, it makes sense for them to not know what to do. It also makes sense that you didn't find any priests there because they shipped out all the influential leaders so that the other leaders can come in and lead without being um, challenged. So they brought in a priest to so teach them how to, uh, how to uh, worship God again, what are the rituals, what is the formulas that you do when you pray, and all this other stuff. And that is what this passage is talking about. Um, and so in verse 25, it says, um, before we go to verse 25, well, let's read verse 25. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed all of them. I want to, I want to sit here and give God praise today that on my way to church, I didn't have to fight off a pack of lions. I didn't have to, I didn't have to dodge any, uh, any rhinoceroses or anything like that in the road. And as I went from across the street and walked over here, I didn't have to worry about any animals whatsoever possibly killing me because I committed some act of idolatry. Isn't that amazing? But here we find this incredible uh, power move by God that basically says, oh, you want to worship a lifeless idol? I'm going to send you a living, breathing lion and see how, how well you pray then. Um, but here's the thing. God always tries to redirect his children. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it will bring unnecessary or bring... Uh, uh, It'll bring inconvenience in your life to the point where you think, this is unnecessary. You, you could have just told me. But God, in his infinite mercy, knows that sometimes we need something a little bit more to redirect our focus once again on him. He doesn't do it just for the sake of vengeance. He does it for the sake of reconciliation. 
Let's take a look at verses 28 and 29. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. And every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities in which they lived. Now, they still couldn't give up the rulers of their heart. Now, they still worshiped God, but they still hadn't repented. And I think for a lot of us, we recognize we need God in our life. We need Jesus but we're unwilling to actually repent of anything. So instead, what we really end up doing is is we end up sprinkling a little bit of Jesus in. And so we end up having this stew of all of these things that we say are important, all these things that are percolating in our life. And so instead of uh, taking all that stuff out and starting fresh, we end up sprinkling a little bit of him in as well. And it ends up just being another thing that is part of our collection of values instead of the only thing that we value. Folks, can I please encourage you to make him it. It. Nothing else. That he is the only thing that we lift up. He is the only thing that we worship. He's the only thing that we drive strength from. He's the only thing that brings direction. And that all these other things will end up falling exactly where they're supposed to be if we are faithful in that first thing of making Jesus exclusively Lord. We need to remove some things from the space of the throne of our heart so that Jesus can finally sit down without being accompanied by anybody else. For some of you, a ruler of your heart is your job. You spend a lot of time at work, and, and, and your family would argue that not only uh, you spend so much time at work, but you are, and you're committing adultery, uh, idolatry by all the time and value you put your, into your job, but your job has also become the mistress in which you cheat on your spouse. Sometimes we even try to give it nice biblical language. I'm just being a good steward of what God has given me. I'm just trying to work hard because the Bible condemns laziness. I'm just trying not to be lazy. I'm just trying to provide for my family. Your family hasn't seen you in weeks. It's time to put down that idolatry. Repent from your pride. They can get along without you so that you can do what God has called you to do. If you can't take care of your family because you're too busy worshiping your job, then guess what? Today is the day of your repentance. Today is the day of your salvation. For some of you, family is an idol. It absolutely is. You see, idolatry isn't just something that is inherently against and counter to what God is. It could be anything that you choose to lift and give it the inappropriate emphasis and focus. 
And so we could take family, something that is instituted by God, where God says, respect and honor your parents, uh, respect your spouse as you would with Jesus Christ, and we can take that very thing and pervert it and twist it so that we spend all of our time and energy on our family, but when it comes to the things that God is calling us to, we don't have the time for that. We don't have the energy for that. Some of you have been very good about creating wonderful, life-lasting memories with your children, and they can look back and see the temporary happiness of their childhood, but the danger is, is that they might spend eternity in misery because you have modeled the wrong thing. It's time for us to model the right thing again. Sometimes it might mean that you might have to take, remove some activities from your schedule. So, some, some of our kids have become experts in so many different things. I'm kind of jealous. Some of, the, some of them, they know karate. I knew a little bit of it, but I had to give it up. They know soccer. I don't know squat about soccer. They can play the clarinet. And they could dance. I'm not even going to try to do that. All of these things that they're able to do more and more and more and more, but yet none of them know how to recite the word of God. Are we modeling the wrong things? It's okay. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so don't sit there in shame. Feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit that is speaking to your hearts right now and says, today is the day of change. I need to change. I finally need to lift up the thing that is the most important in our family, and that's Jesus Christ. This has been a tough message. And here's the thing. I, just because I am calling you to finally make Jesus Christ Lord doesn't negate the fact that he still offers salvation even though you don't deserve it. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that something that is worth giving him praise today? We have a God that says, I deserve to be up here because I'm the creator of the universe. And here is where my position is. Lift me up and worship me and me alone. I will not share my throne of glory with anything or anybody else. So me pro, uh, calling you to finally dump all of the ridiculous other crap that we're worshiping so to give him praise doesn't negate the fact that even while we were committing those sins of idolatry, Christ died for us. The final point that I would like to make is, is that ultimately a lot of this ends up coming down to the mixing of our faith and ourselves, our own selfish motives, our own selfish desires. So as the worship team comes on up, I'm going to bring our attention to verse 33. So they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods. 
after the manner of the nation from among whom they have been carried away. The subtlety of idolatry means that we can mix our faith with anything we choose to value, anything that we choose to make part of our uh, ideology. We could choose what parts of the Bible to listen to and what parts of the Bible to ignore. We have a form of godliness, but we are actively denying its power and its source. We need to get back to that real thing where instead of us coming to church, doing church things, singing songs because that's what we do, and then coming here listening to a message because that's what we do, and then we end up leaving unchanged because we were unwilling to let go of the rulers of our heart that is not Jesus Christ. Today, Christ is calling out to you, not in a way of condemnation. It says in his word that he did not come uh, to, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So today, we have uh, uh, an opportunity for us to take a look at our own heart to take a look at the throne of our heart and see if it is being shared with anybody else, with anything else. Tim Keller said that the real danger is not atheism, but that we ask God to coexist comfortably with the idols of our heart. What is occupying the space of your heart that Jesus is being forced to share? some of you today you are hearing the voice of the Spirit speak to you and you're not sure what to do some of you, you know that something's going on, something's important but you don't know what, what to do, where to start let me let me uh, give you a hint because it's really difficult sometimes to recognize that something is really grasping our heart. It's really difficult to know that that thing is being elevated. Sometimes we can get, it just kind of morphs over and we stop seeing it. So let me point you to the word of God that says that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, here's the fruit, here's the fruit. Because if you look at the fruit, then you can tell if something else is astray. So if you take a look at the Word of God, the fruit of the Spirit says love. Are you a person of love today? Or do you find yourself annoyed and angry and hateful towards others because they disagree with you? Because they may have committed some acts against you? And so while Christ offered his love, you find yourself as a Christian saying, well, I know Jesus gave me love, but I don't want to love that person. If that's you today, then this is the point of where you repent and you dethrone yourself and you put Jesus back on the throne. Do you have joy? That's the fruit of the Spirit, joy. And for so many of us, we can get so beaten down and we end up going through life and we're, we're like Charlie Brown where we're just uh, and we don't know what to do. And God himself is saying, I have given you life and life more abundantly. 
Where is the joy today? Because it should be there. And if it's not, it's because we are actively pushing and repelling away the work that God is trying to do. Where is the joy? What about patience? Sometimes I just want to take a situation and go, come on! Hurry up! And Jesus is up there going, I'm here for all of eternity. What is your hurry? Don't you know that things are going to happen exactly the way that I have directed them? So let's have faith in Christ and be patient when we think something should be happening faster than we than than it is. Kindness and gentleness. God's people should have that peppered all throughout their speech and their actions. There's never a point where it is okay for a Christian to go up to somebody else and just tear them down and tear them down and tear them down. When Christ interacted with people, he was firm, he was pointed, but he also offered life. And he did so in such a gentle way. Is your life reflective of one of gentleness, of one of kindness? How about goodness and faithfulness? How about self-control? One of the biggest things that I had to deal with is the fact that I could eat anything and everything that I wanted. And I was very good at it. But then I recognized that after a while, I'm no longer 18 years old and my body is starting to hate me. But I recognized another thing. There is something deeper spiritually that was happening that I needed to let that go and so I can be controlled in how I uh, invite things into my body. Peace. Are you a person of peace or do you constantly pick at things? Do you constantly worry about things? So we're going to have a moment of reflection, to examine the idols of our heart, the things that share, uh, that, that share uh, the throne of our heart with God Almighty. And some of you, you need to repent of sexual sin. Some of you need to repent of your idolatry of work or family or anything else. Some of you, you have already know what needs to happen. But for some of you, you don't know where to start. So the fruit of the Spirit, just start there. Just start there. And then God will speak to you about the rest of the stuff. Now, we, are, we sang a song earlier this morning about how God reigns above it all. He reigns above it all. And so we are going to remind ourselves today that no matter what happens in our life, no matter what we lift up, no matter what we're going through, Jesus still reigns. He still deserves worship. He still deserves glory. He still deserves honor. And so we're going to lift him up today and say, no matter what the idols are, I'm going to give you praise and give you praise alone. So let's worship God today. Let's lift him up. 
And as we continue to sing this song and remind ourselves that God reigns above it all, let's have that inspection so that we know what to repent from, dethrone, and be able to put God where He only he deserves to be.